Well, for the last time, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we are going to look at Peter, Paul, and the unity that they enjoyed. I do know, even as someone mentioned to me today, that when you say Peter, Paul, and, there's a word that's supposed to come next, and it's not unity. It is Mary, I'm well aware of that. Uh, Our sermons uh, are sometimes a group project, and if you think me clever that I came up with that title, I do need to say someone else came up with it, and it's a good one. If you think it's a bad title, later on I'll tell you who it was. Uh, No, I think it's a good one. Titles uh, sometimes can help us capture our attention and get us interested, and I hope that Peter, Paul, and Unity does that for you today. We're going to look at verses 15 and 16 at page 958 in the Pew Bible, if you're looking for that in the Pew Bible, page 958. These are a couple verses I mentioned last Sunday that we'd be coming back to Second Peter because these are a couple verses that, uh, that, that uh, Peter just kind of throws some stuff in there, and, um, and, and it's good, there's no doubt about that, but it, it's kind of like an aside, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, I didn't want to go down that rabbit trail last week. Uh, but but it's something you, I, I didn't want to miss, and so kind of snuck it in here. It's almost like a a big point out of a sermon, uh, so it's 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 kind of like a long devotional or a short sermon. And really, what most of you are focused on is can he preach in about fifteen minutes? Um, well, if you pay attention really well, I will. But if you're not paying attention, I'm going to go longer. Um, that's not true either. But I, this is just, it's just too good to pass up. It's too good to pass up. We're going to go to Genesis next week. We did Genesis 1 through 11 uh, back earlier this year, and we wrapped that up. We're going to finish up Genesis and go 12 to 50 over the course of three months. We'll be taking uh, multiple chapters at a time. But this week, we kind of stick in this little topical message about Second Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. Here's the big idea for you. Big idea is that the road to unity is paved with humility. The road to unity is paved with humility. And just in two short verses, we see how this works out in real life. And we'll draw from some other parts of the Bible to fill this in. Peter's writing in verse 15, and he says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. We looked at some of those phrases last week, but I want to look at some of those phrases this week that we ignored last week. First of all, this is totally free. If you find it hard to understand what Paul is talking about in some of the New Testament writings, you're in good company because Peter did too, right? That's just kind of a little humorous thing. I I wonder why Peter wrote that, Um, but uh, you're in good company. Here's the thing I want us to, to notice. Humility paves the way to respect Paul's writings. As you read these verses, and we're going to look at verse 16 first and then go back to verse 15. Uh, we're going to look at verse 16 first, go back to verse 15. Humility paves the way for, for Peter to respect Paul's writings. 
it, in one sense, this shouldn't be too surprising, but we also know that it's very easy for Christian leaders to be rivals and to be in competition with one another. And as you read this, you don't see any competition here at all, but what you see is Peter respecting the fact that Paul wrote letters that were full of wisdom and they were very helpful. And in fact, Peter says something incredibly remarkable about those writings that we'll notice in a moment. What he says is that those are the other scriptures. As he does in all his letters, Peter writes, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. What does Peter call Paul's writings? He calls them other scriptures. He puts them on the same level as scripture. And we know what Peter thinks about Scripture because in first, excuse me, in Second Peter chapter one, if you want to turn back there, he he calls the Scriptures, the prophecies of the Old Testament, he calls them calls them writings that are inspired by God. They're they are written by people who are moved along by the Holy Spirit. They're not just good advice. They're not Aesop's fables. They're not Confucius says. They're not Gandhi said. They're something entirely otherworldly. The scriptures are things that are breathed out by God. And Peter knows from his own personal experience what it is to be moved along by the Holy Spirit because in Acts chapter 2 during the Sermon of Pentecost, he and 119 other believers were being moved along by the Holy Spirit and they were, they were, they were talking about the gospel in languages they'd never learned, and Peter stands up and gives a great sermon to explain that phenomena that's going on. But Peter doesn't think he's the only one. Peter looks at Paul, and there is a humility there, and he recognizes that the Holy Spirit who moved him along to preach at Pentecost has moved Paul along to write numerous letters, and by the time Peter is writing, Paul has written Letters like First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Romans. He's written these great, uh, these great chapters like Romans six, seven, and eight that tell us how we are to live and how we are to think about the future and how we're to look at, at our own life now, and it doesn't match up with the perfection that we're supposed to be. And 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 Paul has written all these things and. Peter says, those other scriptures, those writings of Paul are just like the other stuff you read in Isaiah and Moses. They're the same category. They're the same level. They are for your instruction. They are for your good. Peter is drawing a straight line. From Genesis, Exodus, Psalms, Isaiah, Daniel, Malachi, Romans, 1 Thessalonians, Galatians. All of it is the same. And Peter can do that because he is humble. And so he respects those writings. This is an important part of these two verses. I think another important part, and one that strikes me as I was reading through this, is what... Paul says, excuse me, what Peter says in verse 15. He says, our beloved brother, Paul. Humility paves the way to listen to Peter's rebuke. 
It might not be the first thing that we think about, but when we ponder the interactions that Peter and Paul have had, this statement by Peter at the end of his life is, I think, incredibly full of meaning. Humility paves the way to listen to Paul's rebuke in verse 15. Peter is writing about Paul, and pardon me for pausing, but I really want to say the right name when I say Peter and Paul. Um, Peter is writing here at the end of his life, and we've already read about that in, in chapter 1. He knows he's at the end. and He calls Paul his, his, our beloved brother. He is loved by God, and he's loved by Peter. And we're kind of like, yeah, I mean, you should love Paul. Paul's a good guy. I mean, obviously, Paul started out rough as Saul, but Paul's a good guy, did missionary work, wrote Bible, cared about people, etc., etc. He is a brother, and, and, and the way that Peter is referring to that is beyond just the brother-sister relationship in the family of God, but it is that brotherhood of apostles. So, so Peter is recognizing that Paul is an apostle of equal standing with Matthew and Thaddeus, and James and John and Levi and all the rest. So there's that kinship. But this, my friends, comes on the heels of something that occurred roughly 15 years before Peter writes this, and it's in Galatians chapter 2. Would you join me in Galatians 2? Galatians chapter 2, page 913 in the Pew Bible, if you want to use that. Galatians chapter 2. Peter and Paul, they're both apostles, so, I mean, like, they're on the same team. They should get along. Everything should be good. And yes, it should, but there are things in life that provide us opportunities to to be at odds with one another. And Galatians chapter 2 gives us one of those. Galatians 2 and verse 11 says, But when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and this is Paul writing in Galatians, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He, Cephas, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles, but when they, those people from James, came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, And not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I mean, the summary is that that Paul, in front of a, a number of Christians, calls Peter out for being a hypocrite. As a pastor, there are funny things that go through your mind when you're preaching. And if you didn't write them down or think about them before it's probably not always a good idea for me to say those things that go through my mind. Every now and then I'll say something to, I'll say something to Barron in a service, because I know Barron's not going to have a problem if I say something. He's good. Josh Burrow's kind of the same way. New conduct behind him. But some of you get very nervous that I'm going to talk to you during a sermon. I'm not. Okay, I promise you I'm not. But what we have here 
is kind of, um, it's kind of like a fifth Sunday lunch. It's kind of like a fifth Sunday lunch. And for whatever reason, because people do this, you kind of have, you know, one group here and one group there. And in this case, in Galatians 2, you've got Jews and Gentiles. And, and, and they're, they're together. But a couple weeks ago, it was just Gentiles. And Peter was eating with the Gentiles at the lunch a couple weeks ago. But, quote-unquote, today, we got Jews and Gentiles, and Peter won't eat with the Gentiles. He goes and eats with the Jews, and Peter gets up during the lunch, and he tells Peter what he's doing is hypocritical, and in fact, it's out of step with the gospel, and it's denying the gospel. It's probably one of those situations where you could have heard a pin drop, right? It's like when mom and dad argue in the house and everybody gets real quiet. Two kids can argue in the house and everybody just kind of keeps going. Big deal. But when the authorities start to argue, that's... I get up one Sunday and I tell Eric, Eric, could you please play the songs faster? We talked about that on Tuesday. And all of you are like, as you should be. That would be unconscionable for me to do. But what if I... What if Peter, I'm not even going to figure out, I didn't write it down, so I shouldn't talk about it there. If Peter and Paul, apostle to the Jews, apostle to the Gentiles, and, and Peter is acting hypocritically, and Paul calls him out for it, justifiably so, but at the same time, that doesn't take away any of the embarrassment. That doesn't take away any of the sting. And you read this account in, in Galatians chapter 2, And the last words are Paul telling Peter what to do. And you don't find out in Galatians 2 what Peter's reaction was. Just kind of left out there. But when we read in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Peter calls Paul our beloved brother, you get the sense, you get the very clear sense that that Peter was humble enough to receive that rebuke, and at some point in time, over 15 years, at some point in time, Peter recognized that he was wrong, and Paul was right, and in humility, Peter recognized, I needed that. Peter recognized, that's, that's a good brother, In fact, that might even be someone who's taking care of my soul. Now we might ask, why didn't why didn't Paul do that in like a public uh, in a private setting? Why didn't he pull him aside? We don't know the whole situation. I think probably because Paul sees Peter doing this in a public way, and and he's like, we we need to clarify that the gospel brings these ethnicities together. That Jesus came to break down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile. So, so he's got to address it. Here's, I think, what we can know for sure. Go over to Galatians chapter 6. Same letter, Galatians chapter 6. Here's Paul's mindset about correcting other people. Uh, Galatians 6, 1. Verse uh, Galatians 6, 1, 2, and 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You don't get the sense that Paul went into this with two guns blazing and he just wanted to like shoot Peter down. No, he, he goes in and he's wanting, to, he's wanting to restore Peter to living the gospel message out clearly and accurately. Think about your favorite Christian leader or preacher or teacher. You may not see it from far away. They're on the radio, they're on the podcast, but if you were up close to faithful ministers of the gospel, there is a very, very, very good chance that you would find out that there are people speaking into their lives. Speaking into their lives, helping them to see when their ego is getting a little too big, speaking into their lives when there seems to be an empire starting to form. Every now and then you'll get to read about that as some of them kind of peel back the curtain a little bit. Even the the best Christians, even the most influential Christians need other Christians to speak into their lives and they need the humility that paves the way to unity. Humility, I could think we could put it this way, humility listens and pride talks. Humility thinks you have something to say. Pride says, I have something to say. And so in this case, we see this wonderful pattern and this wonderful example. And we see Peter in time recognizing that Paul cared about him and so Paul is a beloved brother. I'm going to skip a couple things and I want to go to Philippians chapter 4. We'll have it up on the screen, Philippians chapter 4. Here's something I want to think about when it comes to humility and unity. These are a, a group project. In Philippians 4, Paul writes, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Tintiki. These are two ladies in the church at Philippi. I entreat you to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Why do we look at this? We'll go back and we'll come to that one in a minute. Thanks, Greg. Philippians chapter 4, Paul mentions two women in a church who are not in agreement. It's, it's, in some way, it's so, their disagreement is so public that Paul, under inspiration of the Spirit, puts their names in the Bible. But what he says is not simply that we should know there were a couple fighting women at Philippi, but what we should know is that there are people who can help these women to agree in the Lord. I think it's one thing for us to individually go to someone and say, you've hurt me, I I, I don't want this to be between us. Or we go to someone and say, I've hurt you, I don't want this to be between us. But it's another thing, and it's actually commanded here in Philippians 4, that when we see two people who are not in agreement, we need to help bring them together, to unify them. We do it in humility. We encourage humility on their part. Because humility, humility paves the way for unity. We go to Philippians 2, 3, which Greg gave us a little preview of there. Appreciate you working up there. I'm changing things on you. Where does humility come from? 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's, it's when we count others more significant than us. Philippians 2 is that passage where we see Jesus showing us the most extreme and ambitious plan of humility. It is Jesus who is the eternal Son of God and has enjoyed the relationship with His Father forever and has enjoyed the worship of angels forever. And He comes to earth and He's a baby who needs to be cared for and who has to grow up through elementary and learn things when He Himself is the source of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus humbles Himself, and so we are to have the mind of Christ, and we are to count others more significant than ourselves. Humility is what is required of us. Humility is what Jesus is actually giving us a mind for. And, and uh, I want to read a quote for you. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about this humble man is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap. I'm quoting from C.S. Lewis, who is British. Hence the word chap. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. And here's the quote you can throw up there. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. That's humility. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud, C.S. Lewis said. Peter had to have a humility to say, our beloved brother, Paul. How would we have a humility like that today? How would we not think about humility. We would just stop thinking about ourselves. You know, some of you are good at sports. Some of you are good at soccer and the season's coming up. Humility is not saying, I'm terrible at soccer. Humility is saying, I've got a team full of good players around me. Some of them really improved over the summer. We've got some strikers who I think are going to develop this year. Some of you are good at volleyball. It's not humility to say, oh, I'm terrible at volleyball. I can't even hit a ball. No, if you can hit it, you can hit it. And what humility says is, we've got a great team around us. I'm so glad we've got a good setter so I can hit. So-and-so serves really well. Some of you are well off financially. It's not humility for you to say, oh, I'm poor. I don't have any money. That's not reality. Humility says it's the, it's the Lord God who gives power to get wealth. Humility says, I'm so glad that I have more than I need for us because, because there are some great needs out there. Maybe it's inside the lines. Maybe it's another missionary. Maybe it's another organization. Maybe it's some people you know who need help. Humility is thinking about others. It's not thinking about humility. 
Maybe you're good looking. Maybe you're just flat out attractive. Humility is not saying I'm ugly. Humility is saying when you get a compliment, thank you. I didn't do anything for this great nose. We worry about noses so much. Some of you wish you didn't have your nose. But we saw a guy in the movies recently who didn't have a nose. You ain't going to take that home to mama. That looks weird. You got a nose. You know what? Here's the reality. People listen to people who are good looking. That makes absolutely no sense. What connection is there between good looks and intelligence? None. But we're humans, so we do dumb stuff like that. If you're good looking, people are going to listen to you. So my friend, have something to say. Have something good, biblical, true, and compassionate to say. Don't think about you and how that can get you attention. Think about how that can help somebody else. If you're mature as a Christian, don't say you're just, you're just lousy. God's not doing anything in my life. No, I mean, thank God for growing you. Thank God for growing you and use that growth to pour yourself into others. I love that phrase that Jonathan used earlier this morning. You've been given maturity so you can pass that on, encourage others in maturity. We could talk about a whole lot of things like that. Humility doesn't think about humility. Humility doesn't even just doesn't think about themselves at all. As we wrap up, what good is unity? What good is it? What's it like? What good is unity? What good is it like? You know, unity is like that, that refreshing rain that revives the wilting flowers of summer. We could use some of that sometime today or tomorrow. Unity greens the grass after a heat wave. Unity restores the luster to an old man's beard. Unity sweetens the air with a pleasant aroma, masking the stench of our enmity, jealousy, and strife. Psalm 133 tells us what unity is like. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of the mountains, Hermon, which evaporates, goes up, becomes clouds, and falls like rain on the mountains of Zion. Unity is a beautiful thing. And the road to unity is paved with humility. Let's bow for a moment of silent prayer and reflection.